With Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway this hour. It is Tuesday, October 24th, and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of saves at Calgary Lock and Safe. It's Steinberg along with you coming at you from the Scotiabank Saddledome as Flames Talk is available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're kicking off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider. Let's bring in Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. A flexible Frank on this Tuesday. <laughs> Frank joins us now from uh, from. From uh, Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Thank you for being flexible, first of all. Yeah, Second. if you've ever seen me in a gym, that's definitely not something you would ever say. First off, you'd never see me there, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> what, uh, Frank, let's uh, dive in, I guess, on, on the news of the day from a flame standpoint, and that is... Oh, we got an OV penalty shot here. This oh. could be a, an interesting way to get your first goal of the season. Okay, tell me what happens. I don't have it on my screen here, so wait. He's tell me if, making uh, his way in. Deke backhand save by Joe Wall. OV, if he goes the next 37 minutes and 15 seconds without a goal, it will tie his longest run in his career. Ten games dating back to last season without a goal. Jeez. And he does not score on the penalty shot either, hey? Nope. Well, um... And this is, of course, the uh, first ever night the NHL has had uh, all 32 teams playing on the same night and 16 games going at once, which is, uh, I think, pretty cool. Other people don't like it, uh, but I've, uh, I have I actually think it's a pretty cool thing. We can hit on that a little bit later, actually, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't understand why some people don't like it, but that's for another time. Um, what uh, what did you make of the commissioner upholding uh, four game suspension to Rasmus Anderson on this Tuesday? I can't imagine you would be overly surprised by that news. No, not at all. I would say when you consider um, the hit and all that went with it, there was a lot of layers to it that I didn't like. Obviously, the Department of Player Safety didn't like, and just reading the commissioner's brief. And, and ruling, it's kind of clear that the NHLPA and the Flames tried to go after the fact that there's an important and different league celebration in the Heritage Classic coming on Sunday, that they tried to push for that as one of the reasons why this should be reduced by a game. And the only other way to do it is to kind of attack the process and precedent in the department of player safety and they're kind of too buttoned down to do that. So it doesn't really leave a lot of wiggle room and you know, it it takes a lot. Something would really have to go awry for the commissioner to upend a decision that comes from his own department. And I was going to say, that's why I think the process is broken. Like I, I think the players, the next CBA really need to push for, any suspension going immediately to a 
a truly independent third party. If not, the you know any suspension you know less than five games, you're not you're not dealing with a truly independent and neutral arbitrator. Yeah. Well, and that's that's always and and sometimes I know that there's been criticism for how long the process takes too. This one was pretty expedited when it was all said and done. But um, what, did did you think four games was sufficient when they made the decision and when when the Department of Player Safety handed that down on Saturday? I did. I thought it was fitting. I thought, look. I mentioned the layers to this. I don't like the angle. I don't like the the direction and speed with which he, he goes to make the hit. It was pretty calculated. And I think more than anything, which Commissioner Bettman really drove home in his in his ruling is it's it's really abundantly clear that Rasmus Anderson lost emotional control. And you know, you're in the last few seconds of a game in which you're it's out of reach. You're down by a couple goals. You're taking your frustration out on Patrick Line. And so that's on Rasmus Anderson to control himself better. If you want to make mm-hmm. a clean hit, fine. But if you're going to jump and launch yourself, uh, to me, you've lost it. And, you know, you deserve to be punished for it. Um, also in this market, there's been a lot of buzz over the, I don't know, last 48, 72 hours about the future of Noah Hannafin and, and him mm-hmm. potentially signing a long-term contract extension. Lots of buzz in this market, but no news as to anything being imminent or anything being done. Where, where do things sit with the Flames and Hannafin from your understanding? So I do think there was some progress made there. I do think that he had come to the Flames at some point in the last little bit and said that he's open to negotiating an extension. Um, I don't know what happened since then. I don't, I I don't think it's fair to say that things hit a snag, but I can tell you that there's nothing done at this moment in time and that they continue to work at it. Um, Progress is great. But until you get to the point where you agree to terms, that's mm-hmm. a different story, and they haven't gotten there yet. I don't get a sense that it's anything clause-related or anything like that, um, that there's a sticking point when it comes to that. I truly think that part of the holdup is that Hannafin hasn't quite made up his mind just yet as to exactly what he wants to do. What... Uh... Like, what does a contract look like for a 26-year-old? He'll be 27 in January with 600-plus NHL games. He's he's clearly a guy that can play 22 to 24 minutes a night, but he's also not uh, an elite number one defenseman either. What mm-hmm. what does that type of contract look like for a guy like Noah Hannafin? I think you've got some goalposts that are out there. I think when you take a look at the deal that Mackenzie Weger signed and then you take a look at the deal that Devon Taves signed, like a lot of people felt that Taves, even though he's a bit older, being a 50 point defenseman multiple times and playing big minutes alongside Kale McCarr, that he got underpaid. Either way, I would say there's probably really little evidence that Noah Hannafin and his camp can point to and say, we think we should be getting Devon Taves money or North of that. So my, my guess would be that the end point or range is somewhere in between the two. 
okay. in between six and a quarter and seven and a quarter. Um, I don't know exactly where that comes out and part of it depends on term, but that's sort of how I formulated it in my own brain. Okay. Is it significant that, you know, there has been progress here because, you know, you go back to the summertime, you know, most of the Intel that everybody had was that this probably wasn't a possibility. How significant is it that there even has been progress here? Yeah, it's definitely, at least for me, it's definitely a curveball. Um, because when, when you have a player that comes to your organization and says to you, hey, I, I've really enjoyed my time here, but when I get to be a free agent in a year's time from now, my preference is, you know, at least as I see it now, is that I'd like to go back and play in the U.S. Like to then change course, like last time I checked, the Flames are still based in Alberta. Um, so that's, it is a pretty significant change and Mm -hmm. it does indicate, and to be fair, I've been really consistent in this message with you, um, for the last number of months since then, there's never been one shred of animosity with Hannafin and the flames. There's never been any issue at all. In fact, he's told them, I, I do really like it here, but I think that's what my preference is. And they've gotten to a spot now where he said, Hey, I'm open to the idea, but he also hasn't put pen to paper saying I'm locked in on the idea. So until that happens, I think you have to at least allow for, you know, some hemming and hawing that I, if I were to handicap it, that's how I would think that it stands right now. Okay. Any, uh, anything new on the Elias Lindholm front? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So it's still kind of a holding pattern, all things considered, with the Calgary Flames right now. Well, and, uh, today situation. there was a little bit of a wrench thrown into that, I think, with Nikita Zadorov's comments. And the, I don't know uh, how much you addressed them in hour one, but I thought the, that was a really big moment today for the Calgary Flames. The com- which, which one specifically? The comments about too many guys being individuals? Individuals. It, it reminded me so much of what Nazem Kadri said to me on my podcast last year at the all-star game, which was we'll make the playoffs when we start playing like a team. Huh? That part of it, you can change the GM, you can change the coach. They didn't really change much of the core. They injected a few young players, but if you've got a group that doesn't have the proper chemistry or cohesion, you know, things, that's when things fall apart. And I'm not in there and I don't would never pretend to know. But when you start to hear comments like that on October 24th, it's an attempt publicly for players on this team to get everyone's head screwed on straight. Yeah. That doesn't just happen by accident. You don't just, Oh, randomly mention that as you trail off in a, in a scrum, that's a message being sent. Yep. Yeah, it definitely raised some eyebrows here. There's, uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, we'll, uh, we are, we are like, you, you, I was standing right beside him when he said it. You're like, okay, that uh, wasn't expecting that from a relatively innocuous line of questioning too. So um, it was yeah, put it on a tee, and it wasn't. It, that's what I'm saying. He, it was put on a tee, and he smashed it. Yep. So it, this wasn't like him, you know, 
someone prodding him or pushing him to get to this point. This was a message being sent. And God bless Nikita Zadarov because, you know, he, first off, I think he's a heart and soul guy who, who gives you everything he's got. And second, he's shown, especially with w- what's gone on in his home country, that he's not afraid to uh, to say what he really feels and what's on his mind. And that's not someone being divisive. That's someone that's trying to bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. That's that's what real leadership is. We're uh, chatting with Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. Frank, uh, leaving Calgary and uh, looking at the team they're going to play at the Heritage Classic later on this week on Sunday. What what do we actually know about Connor McDavid's injury situation? Because it seems like any time this guy gets hurt, it's like Fort Knox. Um, it, what- it's unbelievable, actually, because I'm sure I was not the only reporter firing off a string of text messages early Sunday morning saying, hey, what's going on here? And guess what? Not a single one of those messages were returned. I'm also sure that I'm I'm not the only one on that. Um, Look, they're secretive and and rightfully so. Um, A lot of teams are when it comes to injuries. But I got to tell you, it's not lost on me that that press release about McDavid's injury status was sent out at 4.45 on Sunday with the Heritage Classic being almost exactly one week away to the minute puck drop at 5 Mountain Time on Sunday saying he's got the potential to miss one to two weeks. So that, that says that for a reason. He's a fast healer. He is... Uh, someone that puts in every ounce required to try and rehab and come back. Just think back to that knee injury a couple summers ago, and he made it back for opening night. Um, I think he's going to try and give it every shot that he can to play on Sunday, but it's one of those tough things if you're the Oilers. You've got this great celebration. All eyes on the league are, are on Alberta for this great battle of Alberta again. And you, the last thing you want is is – the best player in the world tweaking something that keeps him out or keeps it lingering for six to eight weeks instead of just one to two. Yeah. What, what's your overall read? Uh, we talked about this last week, but just your overall feel and read on the start to this season in Edmonton. You know, I, I think there's been some similarities to be honest with the Calgary flames. Um, I think there's definitely been a few night so far where you can openly question their work ethic and and effort um i think there have been some hiccups that i wonder with both of those teams making changes in their defensive zone um that have led to some i don't know if confusion is the right word but certainly lacking crispness if that makes sense and I also think there's been some bright spots. If you're the Flames, you're pointing towards Manjapani and you're pointing towards Jacob Markstrom and Nett. And then there's been some really disappointing parts. If you're the Oilers, you're looking at uh, Jack Campbell not being able to get it together again. And you're looking at uh, Connor Brown really struggling as, as you've committed some pretty significant bonus money for next year's cap towards him. After a long layoff, McDavid is hurt, hasn't really been quite like himself. I didn't mean to compare and contrast the two to give you your 
your Battle of Alberta preview for Sunday, but I think there's been a lot of similarities between the two teams that have really made for frustrating starts. Uh, just a couple, a uh, couple more. Throw them rapid fire. Yeah, rapid fire at you. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights six for six to start the year as the uh, defending Stanley Cup champions. What do you make of Vegas as uh, they undergo their cup defense? I don't know about you, but whenever I go to Vegas, I'm hungover. I don't. I can't believe they don't have. Yeah, there's nothing any there. sort of Stanley Cup final hangover there. Um, that's the best start of any team, as you mentioned that's won the cup the following year. Um, I don't know what it is about me and the way I view Vegas is probably something I should shake, but I kind of continually overlooked them. Like I kind of looked at last year's run and said, Oh, that's a team that just got hot at the right time. And they, they really played well together. And I was saying, I don't know if that's entirely duplicable again. Could, could you get the same out of, your goaltending again. Could you get, you know, that defense core to play the same exact way again? I think the answer so far is yes. And shame on me for overlooking them again. Uh, what do you make of the uh, new NHL edge uh, statistical information that we're seeing right now? Love it. I think it's overdue to get to this point where you can – if you've had a question about how fast someone has skated, if you felt like they really were blazing or someone shot and how hard it was, or frankly, some of the most interesting stuff on there is the goaltending shot locations and the way it's broken down with all these different quadrants of the ice. Um, it's really valuable to add some context. And it's, I think what it's going to do is, is just add a new layer into how we think about and evaluate players. And I'll give you two examples. One is Quentin Byfield, six foot five, two hundred and thirty pounds, with the Kings. He's had a really disappointing start to his career. Like it feels like he's one of those guys that's always kind of scratching the surface. But at what point is he finally going to break through? Three goals last year. I think he had five to two years ago. That's you're talking about the number two overall pick that should be making a real dent in the NHL. But then you look at his metrics and you're like, six foot five. 230 pounds. This guy can fly. Didn't I had no idea he moved that well. Mm -hmm. My eyes kind of thought that, I, that he did, but then seeing it on paper, you're like, Oh wow, that's really impressive. And then like just a simple thing, but like there's only been five shots so far this season that have registered a hundred or more miles an hour. Uh, a Calgary hitman, Travis Sanheim in Philly has two of them. Hmm. Thought he shot the puck well, but seeing that he's gotten two of them off so far at north of 100 miles an hour, the only guy in the league with multiple, I'm kind of looking at his, not his game differently, but I'm like, oh man, get that guy on a power play with some actual talent in front of him. Yeah, it's cool. I uh, as, as soon as you wrote that article, um, I went and dove in and spent a good chunk of time scouring through. It was uh, it was it's pretty neat, and I'm glad that they did that. I you know went it's down been, the edge rabbit hole. I sure did, and I know they've been working on it for a long time. So yeah. um, it's uh, it's very context cool. will be cool to see how it grows. It's only yep. got three years worth of data now. This is the third season, but you know, ten years from now, we'll be able to look back and say who has the hardest shot of all time since we've been tracking it. 
And uh, just uh, to wrap things up, Frank, um, 16, 16 games all in one night, staggered, and, and the NHL's trying something new and getting everything on one night. I know some seem to not like it. I think it's awesome. Something cool, something trying to do something new. I think it's always good to try things. But what about you? He's a big fan of this. This is a good thing the NHL's doing. So I'm never going to knock the league trying something different, but I do think as difficult as it is to schedule a night with all these different building availabilities and, and pull it off. It's, it's really impressive, but the fact that it's on a Tuesday in October, I think is a bit of a miss. And I also think first off the East is a tough place to watch sports in general. Um, but like tonight is a great example. The first game starts at six, but the puck drop for the last game of the night, Golden Knights Flyers, which might actually in an odd way work out really well if you're watching game seven of the NLCS, you know, you're partying, you can keep the party going, just flip over a couple channels when the NLCS ends, and you can catch the start of the Flyers game. But on any other night, I'd say going until two in the morning out east is probably not the best recipe but um i like the idea of it i just felt like the execution of it could have been a little bit better if that makes sense yep nope fair I enough i think that it's lost not being able to view the whole thing in canada yes i i know that and that that is a little bit of a head scratcher might be neat to try getting the uh the same opportunity to do it here in canada if they were to do this again so we'll see hey it's it's year one maybe it's something that they can tweak and make better as they go forward um but i i kind of i like the idea of trying anyway so we'll see how it plays out thanks for doing this frank appreciate uh, appreciate the time and appreciate you being uh, so flexible with your schedule man i really do appreciate it yeah no problem i will see you uh sunday at the heritage classic absolutely we'll see you in edmonton pal thanks frank see you buddy Frank Saravalli is our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he joins us brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. This is Flames Talk. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Steinberg. Wes Gilbertson, now Derek Wills. Daily Flames Roundtable time brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport. Gents, let's uh, kick things off on the Daily Flames Roundtable by reacting to, I think, the biggest news of the day in Flamesland, and that is the Rasmus Anderson suspension, a suspension that has been upheld on this Tuesday by Commissioner Gary Bettman. So Rasmus will serve all four games of his suspension. Just uh, curious as to the reaction around the table as to the commissioner's decision. Well, not good news for Rasmus Anderson or for the Calgary Flames, especially with uh, news coming out today that maybe uh, Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid uh, hasn't been ruled out for the NHL Heritage Classic on Sunday, and you'd certainly like to have your number one defenseman available to uh, play against the arguably the number one player in the league in that game. But, you know, Rasmus Anderson uh, hopefully will learn a lesson from this. Uh, I love how fiery he is, and I think he can use that to his advantage, but he didn't do that. 
at the end of the game against the Blue Jackets last Friday. You know, Patrick Laine got hurt on the play and has been put on IR, and hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. But I think the Flames would have had a, or I should say the NHLPA and Anderson would have had a better chance to win the appeal if Laine wasn't injured on the play. But because he was, I think that really hurt their cause. And Gary Bettman, history has shown that he does tend to back the Department of Player Safety and the officials. So I'm not completely surprised they didn't reduce it. it. It just, for me, four games was a lot for a guy without a suspension history. So I, I thought that was a little bit excessive, but obviously the commissioner disagrees. And the Flames are going to have to figure it out without their number one guy back there. A guy who led them in time on ice last season, leads them in time on ice this season. And, and the one thing for me, and you and I were talking about this off the air earlier, Wes, it, it does kind of shine a spotlight on the Flames' lack of depth on defense. Um, they've got six really good guys when everybody's available. But right now you've got Oliver Shillington away from the team. Right. Rasmus Anderson suspended. And now two guys who are battling to be the number seven guy with everybody available in Jordan Osterley and Dennis Gilbert. Suddenly they're in your top six. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's going to be a challenge for this team in, in the next three games. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the opportunity to pick the matchups at home if you even – Maybe see those guys split tonight. Try try and balance out your D pairings a little bit. But to go back to to go back to the Rasmus Anderson appeal, and and because I love legal gobbledygook, I did read the two page ruling from Commissioner Gary Bettman. As did I. The the part that jumped out, and, and if you maybe put yourself, you know, if a Flames fan is listening, and you put yourself on the other side, how would you sort of react if you were an Oilers fan, or, or however it should be? The thing that struck me was Gary Bettman saying that he didn't give any weight to the argument that Rasmus Anderson's suspension or sentence should be reduced because that meant he could play in the Heritage Classic. Right. And and the commissioner's point being, and I agree with him, the commissioner's point being that you need to set a standard for supplementary discipline that doesn't try to give weight to, oh, well, this regular season game is more important than this regular season game. You don't want to get into a, a circumstance in March where there's a huge playoff battle between two teams and, and you're basically deciding the length of the suspension because, oh, well, we don't want them to miss that huge game. There has to be consistency. I know the frustration has been that there's not consistency, but that part of the ruling that you can't just rip up four games and make it three because the guy really wants to play in the outdoor game. Mm -hmm. I do understand where the commissioner is coming from there. I get that, but it seems like one playoff game is worth two or three regular season games. So for sure. And, and he does specifically say, I'm going to read it here. You know, the department of player safety should not be asked to create or enforce a standard that distinguishes between the relative importance of regular season games. Yeah. I think that line in what it's not saying acknowledges that playoff games are treated as mm -hmm. more important. 
I'll just read some of the interesting sentences because I also read through the commissioner's uh, the commissioner's ruling. He says at the hearing, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, uh, very fancy, uh, acknowledged that the hit was not perfect and that he took responsibility for it. Mr. Anderson has no significant history of supplemental discipline in his six-year career, and his demeanor during the hearing was at all times respectful. I accept his assertion that he accepts responsibility and that he plays hard for the duration of the game, no matter the score. However, the onus in this situation, particularly given the stage and status of the game, was on Mr. Anderson to deliver a clean hit. Although Mr. Line's head position was relatively low when he received and released the puck, he didn't materially change his positioning prior. Moreover, instead of remaining low to deliver his check through Mr. Line's core, Mr. Anderson instead chose to launch upwards in delivering the hit, almost ensuring contact with the head. In this regard, I also find that despite Mr. Anderson's assertion otherwise, the video is clear that Mr. Anderson's feet elevated off the ice as he launched into Mr. Line, delivering a forceful blow. It also bears noting that given the circumstances of the game at the time of this play, where the game was seconds from ending and was out of reach for Calgary, the hit was completely unnecessary, making it also irresponsible. In these circumstances, while Mr. Anderson has no significant history of supplemental discipline and no reputation as a dirty player, he ultimately bore the responsibility here to deliver a clean and fair hit, failing which the imposition of supplemental discipline was warranted and appropriate. Goes on to say they wanted three didn't think it was enough to reduce it to three it's going to stay at four and so i read all can, that can i just say yeah that would be a hell of an ebook the yeah. way you read that mr steinberg just well he, he is a lawyer I'm, very batman you know and, uh, that was very lawyer lawyer speak right there i'm fired up for the game right now i reading all of that just reminds me that don't put yourself in that situation. Yeah. That's that's what yeah. I come away with is don't put yourself in the situation where you become at the mercy of the Department of Player Safety and then your only appeal option is to appeal by the Department of Player Safety's boss. Like though that 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 would be that would be like any other situation where you know what one person makes a decision Another person doesn't like it, so they go to the person's boss to appeal it. A lot of times the boss is going to say, yeah, I'm going to agree with my uh, my second-in-command or whatever whatever the case may be. Don't put yourself in that situation, and uh, that's exactly what Rasmus, the, the type of situation Rasmus put himself in. It's sort of the hockey equivalent of go ask your mom. She's not going to change what dad said and vice versa. Yeah, well, and if I she like does, that. then mom and dad are going to have a bit of a battle themselves. Exactly. Might have to go see an arbitrator. Yeah. Go ask yeah. your dad. Well, dad's saying what mom said. Yeah. Again, I, I love how fiery Rasmus Anderson is on the ice and sometimes even off the ice. And I think there, there are not enough players who hate to lose anymore. Everybody loves to win, but not enough guys hate to lose. I think he's one of those guys who really hates to lose. And he hated losing that game to the Blue Jackets on Friday. But not only did he hurt himself, he hurt his team. So, again, I just hope that he learns a lesson. I, I'm sure that he will. It's, uh, it's hurt his pocketbook. It's uh, taken what would have been a great experience playing in another outdoor game away from him. Flames need Rasmus Anderson. And... Uh, Hopefully this doesn't happen again. And I think guys are going to take notice around the NHL. Yeah. You know, the next time a guy goes to line someone up in a game that's been decided with three seconds left on the buzzer, they're going to have in their back of their mind that that cost Rasmus Anderson four games and almost $100,000. Yeah. 
And in some cases, or in some sense, that's exactly the message that player safety is trying to send us. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Is that I think that's kind of what the Department of Player Safety is hoping for when they levy this discipline. They they are using this to try to set a new precedent for stuff that happens when it doesn't need to in the dying seconds of a game. Yep. It's unfortunate for Rasmus Anderson. I think we were all surprised by the heft of the suspension, but it's pretty clear what sort of precedent they're trying to set. Well, and I also know talking to a couple of people today, the the NH that is the thing that's stuck in the Department of Player Safety's craw the most is the timing of it. They they really didn't like the fact that it was as the game was expiring, mm-hmm. they, they, and and the fact that they could make the argument, and whether whether this is the case or not, only Rasmus knows. But whether or not it was, uh, I'm frustrated. I'm going to go after a guy because we're losing, and you know, like, and and so I think that that is the thing that angered the NHL the most is is the timing of the whole thing. Yeah, and a point that you've made a couple of times, Pat, probably more than a couple of times, is that if that happens in the second period of Friday's game against the Blue Jackets, and you can give them five in a game. Maybe it's only a two-game suspension or a three-game suspension as opposed to a four-game suspension. But I agree right. with you, Pat. It, it it probably felt like they had to tack on another game to the suspension because basically he got out of that game without being penalized. Yeah, it'll show up in his penalty minutes, but he wasn't really penalized. The team wasn't really penalized. The game was over. And I know there there are some fans out there saying, well, you're supposed to play to the whistle. It's a 60-minute game. It shouldn't matter what the time of the game is. If the Calgary Flames are closing out a 4-2 victory at 10.30 tonight and Jacob Truba takes a run at Elias Lindholm at the blue line with three seconds left, it should be the same thing and it would be the same reaction. Yep. Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Wes, Pat on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. Um... Gents, it feels like Tuesday night against the Rangers, uh, we're in for another shakeup of, of this team's forward lines. Um, just even talking to and listening to Ryan Huska, they did not show lines Monday at practice because it was a very, very um, sparsely attended optional. It was a heavily attended optional Tuesday morning ahead of the game against the Rangers, but they did not show lines and pairings. So it just it feels like maybe some different-looking line combos again for this game, and that has been a real work in progress through the first six games of the season and going back to training camp and the preseason as well. Why do you think it has been so difficult for this coaching staff to find groups of forwards, specifically up front? Why has it been difficult for them to find things that they like? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see some defense pairings change tonight too based on what we saw in uh, the final game of that season-long five-game, 10-day road trip against the Red Wings on Sunday. But as far as the forward lines, and it's funny, Pat, you were in the same room with us. Uh, Megan and I talked about it before the game. And this is before the puck was dropped. We were kind of left scratching our heads with some of the combinations up front, wondering if they would work. Well, Ryan Huska admitted after the game that they didn't work. Uh, And it's hard for me to, to explain why they haven't worked. I think if the Flames coaching staff knew they would put combinations together that that would work. So I think it's uh, just doing some experimenting and, and trying to find at least duos that work together. And you can always add a third player to that line to complement those two players. But I think one of the issues is a number of the Flames' top players just aren't off to very good starts this season. You know, Nazem Kadri should drive a line. He is goalless with one assist in six games. 
and Jonathan Huberto has been up and down. He's got two goals and four points in six games, but coming off uh, a game against the Red Wings where he was minus four, the second worst plus-minus rating in a game in his NHL career. So he's been a little bit up and down. Michael Backlund, I think, has played well, but he's goalless with two assists in the first six games this season. So when you've got individuals who are struggling, I think lines can in turn struggle as well. And outside of the fourth line, which I do think kind of fell off the last couple of games, but prior to that was really good for three games with Yegor Sharangovich in between A.J. Greer and Walker Dewar. The, the top nine left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. If it was up to me, and I don't know if this is the way they're going to go tonight, it probably won't be, but I would go back to, from left to right, Huberto, Lintome, Mangiapane. I'd go Ruzitska, Kadri, Dubé, and then I would go Coleman, Backland, Coronado. Matt Coronado seems to hit a little bit of a early season wall here, and I think the best guy to pair him with to help him get out of that is Michael Backland. So those are the lines I would go with in the top nine. Uh, and with the way Igor Sharangovich is playing, maybe he's earned some sort of promotion. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that, that's the one that I am sort of keeping my eye on tonight is, is whether we saw his ice time get a big boost in Detroit, whether Igor Sharangovich, a guy who has performed quite well in the last couple of games but isn't unfortunately winning many face-offs as a fourth-line center. I mm-hmm. wonder if we do see him on the wing again and then – sort of what the trickle-down effect happens to be from there. I mean, I would expect, or or at least if I was in charge of writing the lines down, I, I think I like your idea, Wilsey, uh, of reuniting Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. I, I do think that there can be some chemistry there, although, you know, they have been patient with it and haven't seen a, a lot of sparks so far. And when I say patient with it, that that duo was basically together from the start of training camp. We're not just talking about six regular season games. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm totally fascinated. There's nights that you, I guess you're kind of checked out a little bit on warm-up because you know exactly what the lineup's going to look like. Not tonight. I think all of us are, are going to be sort of dangling our, our noses over the edge of the broadcast booth tonight or the press box because I'm really curious to see what sort of units the Flames trot out. One combination I don't need to see anytime soon is Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto. Huberto. That that one just does not seem guys. Yeah. And they, they gave it a long run last year, yeah. too, and it did not work. I There's a few guys that, that I'm fascinated in going forward. Yeah, does does Sharon Govich get bumped up? Do you see him go on the wing? If that is the case, is it Dubé? Is it Ruzicka who moves into that 4C role? And Coronado's fascinating to me because even listening to Ryan Huska Tuesday morning when he did his uh, media availability with him, Wes asked him about managing energy levels, and, and the coach admitted that, yeah, you got to manage energy levels and you got got to be careful i know you've uh, mentioned a couple of times even here that you know maybe he's hit a little bit of a wall and and i agree and so we'll we'll see what they end up looking like but i think the main issue that we're seeing right now guys is wilsey you said it like when you're not getting all of your top players in bus driving mode you're going to have a hard time finding combinations that work. Kadri has not driven a line anywhere near enough and anywhere near consistent enough, dating all the way back to like midway of last season, but certainly to start this year. Huberdeau's been up and down. Lindholm hasn't looked comfortable with really anybody it's felt like this year 
other than maybe Huberdeau, who I think has been the best fit for Lindholm so far this season, but that hasn't even been a home run. And so when you've got Huberdeau, who's kind of been up and down, and Kadri, who's been mostly down, and Lindholm, who's looking to find it, well, those are your those are three of your most important players that you're looking to get the most out of. And if you're not getting high-end, consistent stuff from all of them, it becomes a real challenge to put your forward lines together. Well, and I think part of the problem is some of the players we've talked about, and Nazem Kadri might be at the top of the list for me, they're almost trying too hard. They're trying to do too much. I think about a goal that Michael Backlund helped the Flames score, I think it was against the Red Wings, where he got to the offensive blue line, didn't like what he had for his own entry, softly dumped the puck into the corner, Flames retrieve it and set up Andrew Mangiapane for a goal. It was the game against the Red Wings yep, because that was, that was uh, the first goal he scored since the, the Holman season opener. But I think they have to, to simplify their game a little bit. And when we chatted with Ryan Huska this morning, he talked a little bit about how they've struggled in the defensive zone. They're giving up too many high-danger chances. But also talked about how they've struggled at the offensive blue line. And... To me, a number of their top players are probably trying to do too much getting through the neutral zone and across that offensive blue line. And then once they do get in zone, probably trying to do a little bit too much as well. So sometimes less is more. And if the Flames don't like what they have coming through the neutral zone as they get to that offensive blue line, sometimes just put the puck in a good spot, whether it be to to allow your team to change or to allow one of your teammates to get in there and retrieve it on the forecheck is a better play than turning it over there and then having to to chase it down to the other end of the ice and maybe getting hemmed in the defensive zone and giving up a bunch of high danger chances and goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality of this, and we can all jot down all the line combinations we want, the reality of it is that line building is really difficult when you don't have enough guys going. Mm-hmm. When when you're trying to snap multiple guys out of funks, it's really hard to arrange the deck chairs. Yeah. And the harsh reality of it is that the Flames only have three forwards who have scored multiple even-strength goals so far this season. Andrew Mangiapane, Jonathan Huberdeau, and Adam Ruzicka have two even-strength goals apiece. On the flip side, they have five forwards who have not scored at five-on-five five at all. You're always going to have one or two. But that's too many guys not producing. They need Nazem Kadri to find the back of the net. They need Michael Backlund to find the back of the net. They need Dylan Dubé to find yeah. the back of the net. And so I, I guess I sympathize with Ryan Huska in the sense of, well, yeah, the, the Huberto-Kadri-Dubé line was not good the other night. But you got to get some of these guys going. And, and it sort of felt like, and I know this isn't how a coach operates at the NHL level, but it's sort of felt like, well, let's just give this a try because we feel good about our zone time. We, you know, the, their metrics are showing that they're in the right places offensively. Mm-hmm. They're just not producing. Yeah, and that's the funny thing about uh, all the, the combinations that changed going into that game against the Red Wings. I actually thought the Flames had plenty of opportunities to score against the Blue Jackets in the, the prior game. They just didn't finish. But then you break up those combinations and they, they really didn't get anything going in that, that game to wrap up the road trip. But just thinking about Yegor Sharangovich, he was kind of trying to find himself and figure out 
where he fit in or how he fit in when he was playing on the wing. And then they move him to the middle of that line with A.J. Greer and Walker Dewar, and all of a sudden his game gets to another level. And for me, he was the driver of that line, playing with a ton of pace and outside of not being able to win very many face-offs, I think he's at 27% or something like that on the season for a really good uh, face-off team so far. The top three guys have been great in the circle. Uh, other than that, was doing a lot of really good things. And Dylan Dubé is a guy who, for the, what, 14th season in a row, I expected to be the, the Flames' breakout player again this year <laughs> after he finished first in fitness testing for a third straight season. And he, he just he hasn't quite looked right since right. the start of the regular season playing on the wing. So maybe moving him to the middle and allowing him to drive a line, whether it well, it would probably be the fourth line because it's not going to be one of the top three. Maybe that would get him going a little bit. So, hmm. And he can do what Sharon Govich does in terms of playing with pace. Yeah. Right? If, if that's what you're looking for from that guy. So I'm anxious to see what the lines look like during warm-up yep. tonight. It, it, it was really interesting to hear Ryan Huska talk about sort of line creation yesterday. And he said you, you need a little bit of grit. You need a little bit of pace. Yeah. And you need someone who can make some plays. Well... Take take those three elements, grab your pencil, and come up with your Flames lineup. But right now, they don't have enough guys making plays. Yep. I, I don't know what they're going to look like tonight, but I doubt they'll look the same the same way they did on Agreed Sunday. on that point. That feels like a pretty safe bet. Yeah. And we do the one thing we do know is Dryden Hunt goes in tonight for his Flames debut, yeah. so you are going to see at least some sort of change on the fourth line with A.J. Greer coming out, but... I think we're all expecting more substantial changes than that. Former Ranger. Former Ranger. I can tell you that Rangers fans are not excited. They're like, oh, well, Dryden Hunt's going to score uh, in this game. I've, I've seen a lot of that on uh, the old social medias. I hope they're right. The last little bit. Uh, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's go uh, inside hockey on this Tuesday edition of the program. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson along with you as Flames Talk rolls on on this Tuesday and. I, I would say it's been a rather tumultuous start to the season. I mean, when you take a look at all of what has gone down since training camp and the preseason has begun, and and I'm not even talking about the tragic off-ice uh, situation that the Flames endured and, and uh, continued good vibes sent to the snows and uh, healing vibes sent to the snows and uh, rest in peace to Chris on the ice. Jacob Pelche's injury and Kevin Rooney's injury and trying to find line combinations that work and then a start that eh, that road trip one three and one they get three of a possible ten and near the end of it Rasmus Anderson gets suspended four games in a suspension that's going to get upheld like it's been I, I think it's fair to say it's been a pretty tumultuous start to the season. I can't think of a better word for it to be honest and you can probably include one of the things that you didn't mention in Oliver Shillington not being available to this team. 
before the injuries started to uh, mount, I guess, in training camp, you lose another key contributor who remains away from the team on personal leave. And so, yeah, it, it's been far from a fairy tale start for these Calgary Flames, whether it's some of the, the injuries and off ice, whether it is the on ice performance. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you were hoping it would have gone a lot better so far. Well, and then you hear this from Nikita Zadorov when he spoke Tuesday morning ahead of this game against the New York Rangers. All of a sudden, Nikita Zadorov starts spitting fire, kind of, and and not, nothing really provoked this. It's not like there was any needling. It's not like there was any. There was a fairly innocuous line of questioning um, as the Flames return home after a not so successful five game road trip. Let's listen to uh, Nikita Zadorov who spoke on Tuesday morning. Well, we have no time. We're below 500, so it's a big game for us. I think that that's the message we have. So uh, can we feel sorry for ourselves, you know, come back, time difference. Who cares? Go up there and play. Are you Where do you think the team's at right now in figuring out its identity and how it wants to win? Well, that's where we are. We're trying to figure out our identity. Um, I mean, it was tough road trip for us, not what we were looking for. Um, there's some things need to get working out, but I think main thing for us, we're just not working as the unit yet. We're uh, we have too many individuals playing by themselves, so I think we just we got to figure out if we want to play as the team or if we want to play as the home guy, whatever. So how do you get everyone to buy in collectively? Is it a team meeting? Like how do you get those individuals to row in the same direction then? Yeah, I mean, we watch videos, we agree on some stuff together, so uh, hopefully we bring the better effort tonight. Amount as players talk about guys being yeah too what yeah we do we do talk a lot about that yeah. are those uncomfortable conversations? Well, you got to be uncomfortable in your life. I think I don't think you should be comfortable in your life, or you're not gonna be best version of yourself. You know what I mean? So I think it's definitely a good thing for a team. We only six games into the uh, season, and we're trying to figure out who's want to be here, who wants to play for who. So. Uh, we got lots of time, you know, I don't think our division teams only, one team is rolling right now, pretty much everybody's in the same boat as us. So I think we can definitely use some wins. Is it, does it concern you that these are a little bit of the same conversation that took place last season or? Well, last season was different, different, like the, everyone. Like, it was Daryl, no, there's no Daryl, so there's no excuses, you know what I mean? You guys don't like hard coaches, you don't like good soft coaches, you don't like good coaches, fair. Like, I mean, you just, it's a, it's a new day league, you know. You, you come up here, you play hard, and you just leave everything on the ice. I think that's, that's how simple it is. There you go, Nikita Zadorov, Tuesday morning. Well, there is a little bit of juice in that from Nikita, hey? That, uh, that is very strong stuff. I don't think any of us expect that. Obviously, Nikita Zadorov is sort of, must listen anytime he's available you know anytime a reporter requests him you're always wondering what you're going to hear from Nikita because he is so blunt he is so honest he he really does sort of peel back the curtain oftentimes on yeah. on maybe what the the mood of the team might be but uh geez I was a little bit blindsided by it and every time I listen to that there's another part that kind of jumps out at me you know, I, I grab on to obviously the the part about Daryl. You don't like hard coach, coaches. You don't like soft coaches. What are you looking for? 
it's easy to to really latch on to that. But you know, to hear Nikita Zadorov and, and he and I had several conversations through training camp of, about establishing a new culture in the locker room. To hear him today still reference kind of finding out who wants to be here. That that was the one that I uh, I'm still chewing on and trying to figure out exactly what he was getting at. Well, there is that, and I'm glad that he brought up the Daryl Sutter stuff. I wasn't expecting it ahead of Game Seven. I wasn't coming here today saying, you know, because it was uh, it was Ryan Leslie who suggested we talk to Nikita uh, for for pregame after after morning skate and say we haven't heard from Z in a while. Let's hear from Z. Rye asked the first question in that in that media scrum. Just said, hey, you're back on home ice and you're ready to go. It was a very simple, innocuous question that led Zadorov down the road of no excuses and all that type of stuff right into too many individual players. And nobody was expecting it, but you sure do like to hear it. First of all, like, it's great for our purposes. It gives uh, it gives us ton to ch- tons to chew on. And I'm really, sure glad, I'm really glad he, he mentioned the part about Daryl Sutter because as much as I believed – a change needed to be made as much as you believe the change needed to be made as much as uh, many on the outside, not everybody, but many on the outside thought so. And definitely a vast majority of people internally felt a change needed to be made. It, it now does remove an excuse. Okay. Daryl Sutter, if, if Daryl Sutter was a problem, well, he is no longer part of, he's, he's no longer part of the storyline here. He has been removed and so now it's on the players, and now it's on this group to go out and prove that, okay, that was holding us back. We're capable of a whole lot more. And I, for, for Nikita to air that the way he did, I thought was really important because it does. Have, having Daryl no longer as the head coach of this team, whether you thought it was the right or the wrong move, it does remove excuses in terms of what this team's going to do. And, and especially, Pat, when it comes against the backdrop of – this team being plagued, and and it's very early, but this team through six games has been plagued by some of the exact same things that were an issue last year. You're not getting enough production out of your highest paid forwards, your marquee guys. That that was a problem last year as well, right? It seems like when you give up scoring chances, they're 10 bellers. That was a problem last year as well. It seems like you can't get that clutch goal when you absolutely need it. That like if you go down, you can't you haven't been able yet to win back to back. You haven't been able to string together wins. If you go back and what made for me anyways, Nikita Zadorov's I guess you know, comments earlier today so interesting is that it's set against the backdrop of a whole bunch of things rearing their head again. Yeah. And Listen, a, a couple of good games at home could really change the narrative, but he's absolutely right. It was easy for everyone to say, geez, well, it's all going to be different now that they have a new head coach, right? It, it's all going to be, they're going to have more fun at the rink. It's really hard to have fun at the rink when you come home from a road trip 1-3-1. One, and one. Yep. I, I heard leadership from Nikita Zadorov today. I heard frustration. And I think what I saw was the door cracked open to what seems to be a little bit of an unsettled situation. Yep. And results can change that. Don't don't panic if you're a Flames fan. Don't don't think this can't change. But 
That was a really enlightening few minutes with Nikita Zadorov today. Do you think him saying that sends a message at all? Do you think him saying that that does that resonate behind closed doors because now it's out in public? Sounds like these are things that are this isn't the first time that the, this group has spoken about these things and you know he admitted that yeah, we talk about these things and and that they have been discussed. I just does does something like that resonate? I know that neither you nor I know the answer to that because we're not in that locker room and we're we're not out there going to perform and trying to respond. I just I, I asked that aloud kind of rhetorically if if that's something that can resonate with this group. Well, I think it has to resonate, and, and I do think there's probably going to be some frustration in that room by what was said. And, and I think, you know, it's natural if, if I look at my social media mentions and you'd be the exact same, you know, what Nikita Zadorov did today whether it was intentional or not, was open the door for a whole lot of people guessing who he might be referring to. Yes. Right? Oh, well, he's talking about so-and-so, or this is clearly a shot at so-and-so, or, you know, you can you can go through the mentions and, and see the sort of leading candidates. And I think that's the part that can create some frustration. But Nikita Zadorov talked. We had him right, you know, sitting in this exact room, at the golf tournament, he said one of the reasons it didn't happen for this team last year is not everybody bought it. What I sense today with what he was saying, and you and I have both listened to it now several times, he wants to make sure if that's the problem now, it gets stopped in its tracks. That's That was the sense I took. This isn't Nikita Zadorov trying to call a teammate out as much as he's saying, I'm seeing the exact same thing. Here's a way I didn't try to address it last year. Yep. I'm going to try this. Yep. And I, I do think it, it sort of reminds us how important these next couple of games are for the Calgary Flames. I, I do think there's a real sense that we can't let this get away from us. We can't let this get off the tracks early. And, and that's why I'm so fascinated by what we see tonight against the New York Rangers what we see Thursday against the St. Louis Blues, and, and then moving forward is this team, no, like, there's a huge difference after tonight between 3-3-1 three, three and one and 2-4-1 and one in terms of how you feel about your group. I, uh, I also wonder, because Z didn't come here, Zadorov, Nikita didn't come here and say, go to Peter Hamlin and Sean Kelso and say, I'm talking today. He was requested. Does he come out with that? ready to go like is that locked and loaded or is that something that just pops into his head and and he he goes from there i and again i don't know the answer to that question i just i find it very interesting that we're talking about this today and and nobody was expecting to talk about it on on this tuesday and maybe that is sort of the answer to your rhetorical question maybe whether or not this rubs guys the wrong way has a lot to do with how many times they've heard it. You know, I, I sat with Mackenzie Weger yesterday after an optional skate, and, and he said we had a really, and these are his words, not mine, he talked about a real, really, quote, unquote, stern meeting. He said we, we had a really tough meeting in here this morning after what happened in Detroit. And, and so, you know, if Nikita Zadorov is sort of echoing what was being said perhaps by the coaching staff that we've had, too many individual efforts that we don't have enough guys on the page of what this team is expected to do. 
then then maybe there's not a huge reaction behind the scenes. But uh, in some ways, he I suppose aired the laundry a little bit today, and and I I do wonder what reaction. I, I don't think we're talking about you know this is something that's going to become an issue behind the scenes, but. I do think, you know, that could raise some eyebrows, and, and I'm curious to see what sort of response we see on the ice. Well, here's the response that we've seen on the text line at 960-960 for those of you listening live. Uh, can we please skip over some of the other UFAs and re-sign Zadorov immediately? That's from Sam and Sundance, and, and I've seen a lot of that uh, since some of the quotes were tweeted out on Tuesday morning as well. Um, this says Big Z came loaded because he's thinking what we're thinking. Shots at the big shots on the team um this says big z should have an a on his chest this says flames need to sign z he wants this team to succeed the truth hurts uh this says maybe z is saying guys when he really just means a couple guys perhaps he's being vague on purpose and finally this says it appears plenty of players want to stay in calgary the question is do they want to stay here to win or stay because of the potential country club atmosphere that's developing in the room so those are just a few of the responses that you've heard to or that we've we're seeing right now to hearing from Nikita Zadorov right there. First of all, I, again, I give Nikita a ton of credit for coming out and saying that. He is very unconcerned about what anybody thinks of his opinions or anybody thinks of the way he goes about his business, and, and I always appreciate that because that is not an easy thing to do in this day and age. Um, but I, I, I'm just curious as to if if that's something that goes over well in the room, if that's something like, you know what, good on you for saying that, let's go out and, and respond to it, or because, as you said, it kind of feels like things are a little unsettled right now, does that does that hurt? I, I, and again, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, and and Ryan Huska, I, I suppose, downplayed it a little bit in, in talking about if if you're seeing too much individuality out there, it's maybe guys trying to do too much. And perhaps that is possible, but two things that I'll say about Nikita Zadorov. He he is brutally honest, but he also doesn't say a whole lot. He's not a guy who just kind of fires from the hip in the sense of, for him to come out and talk about that today, he thought it through. He knew exactly what we'd be talking about today on Flamestock. He knew the sort of reaction that it could you know, that it would merit. I, I don't know that he walked out to meet the media thinking, I'm doing this, but it wasn't like it just popped to the top of his head and he unloaded it. Yeah. And, and now I'm curious to see the reaction on the ice. I We haven't talked about it, but you had a terrific post-game interview after the loss in Detroit with Andrew Mangiapane, and, and I thought he made a very telling comment when he said we weren't prepared to play today. You know, like the, Nikita Sidorov is not the first guy to take kind of a – a shot at the team collectively. I thought Andrew Mangiapane did the exact same thing after that hold-your-nose game in in Detroit. And so these are just signs of frustration. But for them to be sort of handled correctly, the response has to come out there. Yeah. And I think the, maybe the moral of this story for me is I still don't know what the hell this team is. As And I, I know it's only six games and 18 periods into the season, but... If you were to stop me on the street right now and say, what are the Flames? What is their identity? What are they supposed to be? I shrug my shoulders. I, I don't know. I don't know what right. they're supposed to be. And, and listen, Nikita Zadorov's minus six, I think, on the season, right? He's 
he, and he's frustrated. For sure. Yeah, yep. he's frustrated individually as well. But you you certainly hope that that can be sort of a galvanizing comment for the Flames and not the other way around because we've, we've heard that this locker room kind of split last season, that there were guys who were maybe trying to reinforce Daryl's message and there were guys who had tuned it out. I certainly don't think that's a problem right now, but it is a little worrisome to hear comments this early in the season that suggest, you know, there, there is a, a little bit of, of not all on the same page happening. Yep. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. Uh, wrapping up the hour with uh, a few other topics. First of all, um, the news flames-wise of the day is Rasmus Anderson. His suspension not reduced. Uh, we hit on that a little bit on the Daily Flames Roundtable on this Tuesday. But uh, just to, to quickly touch on that as we wrap up this hour, uh, the four-game suspension stemming from that Friday loss to Columbus. He's already served one game in Detroit. He'll serve game two against the Rangers, and he will serve game three Thursday against St. Louis, and the fourth and final game will be the Heritage Classic Sunday in Edmonton. And I know you were never convinced that this appeal process that Rasmus and the PA went through was was going to be successful in reducing the suspension. Let, let me take you through my timeline of surprise. Saturday at whatever it was, 5 o'clock Mountain Time when the suspension drops and it's four games, surprised. I, I did not think it would be that high. A couple hours later when reports come out that Rasmus Anderson is considering or, or planning to appeal, mildly surprised. Today at 2 o'clock when Gary Bettman says, no, it's still four games, not surprised not at all. Surprised yep. At all. Yep. It's kind of... I didn't know what to expect, but I don't think I was expecting a like I, I, I'm not surprised just because of history. Yeah. And, and very rarely and I, I thought I thought Frank Saravalli made an interesting point. Like does it speak to needing a rethink on how you do suspension appeals if everybody knew that Gary wasn't going to reduce the you know, I don't think this is one of those times necessarily, but I, I think there probably will be a time when yeah, the Department of Player Safety overreaches and, and they don't need to go down a certain road with a suspension and where an independent arbitrator does need to come in and it makes a little bit more sense. Well, but because this was not in excess of six games, the independent arbitrator doesn't apply in the collective bargaining agreement. So I, I thought that was an interesting point. I don't yeah. think I don't think Anderson's being jobbed here. I, I think it was stiffer than I was expecting. I thought two or three games. They go with four. So I don't think he's getting railroaded here. I think you, as an NHL player, put yourself in a spot where if if you allow the Department of Player Safety to control your fate, yeah. sometimes you're going to get bit harder than you thought you were going to. But I do, I, I do wonder about the process going forward, too. I, I'm sure Rasmus Anderson is full of both frustration and, and some regret about the hit that he made. And unfortunately, it cost him four games. I, I just spelled out why I think these next few games are so important for the team. So, you know, you don't want to be without your best defenseman for a four-game stretch. And the fact that one of them is sort of a, a flagship event for the league is unfortunate, but I I, I just didn't have a whole lot of, of 
optimism, I suppose, that Gary Bettman was going to change his mind on this one. Um, one last topic before we wrap things up. We haven't spent a lot of time on it, so give a, a little bit of a tip of the hat to Dryden Hunt, who does get an opportunity to jump into the lineup Tuesday night against the New York Rangers. Uh, Hunt has not played in any of the six games to start the season. We thought that he was you know, one of the guys that, yeah, as, as training camp rolled on, he put himself in a situation to push for a spot and maybe in the opening night lineup, but definitely in the opening night or on the opening night roster, made the roster they still claim A.J. Greer off waivers, and Greer played the first six. Now an opportunity for Dryden Hunt to get into the lineup. I know you spoke with him uh, on Tuesday morning in the locker room, and you know I, the, the first thing I heard you say, because I was looking around waiting for the scrum, and I saw Dryden Hunt. I was like, okay, that's uh, interesting. And over there, A.J. Greer's locker stall is um, not um, full. So I think we know that one guy's coming out and one guy's coming in. It's just a pretty obvious and a pretty instant thing that you, you recognize when you're inside the room. And then you asked him the question. I didn't hear his response, but he basically said, like, you came here knowing what the role was, and yet here you are getting into your first game. Yeah, and and he said, obviously, what you'd expect, that he's, you know, he's excited and he's full of energy, I believe, super super pumped was the way he put it but also a very mature answer in the fact that he said yeah you know you don't like sitting six games in a row but I thought the guys in my role i.e. fourth liners were doing a really good job right and so I think you you sort of have a window into what a good teammate Dryden Hunt is being and you have to be that as the 13th forward and I'll just add I, I have a feature up on the post media sites if you want to go check it out someone who's very excited to see Dryden Hunt in the lineup tonight is Tim Hunter obviously co-captain of the 89 Flames the best heavyweight in franchise history and he was Dryden Hunt's head coach in Moose Jaw of the WHL when Dryden Hunt as an undrafted 20 year old got his entry level contract kind of neat memories I thought at least from from both Dryden and and, Dim, and Tim Hunter uh, big Huntsy and little Huntsy as Tim put it. So you can check that out at both the Herald like and Sun that. websites. Uh, so Dryden Hunt will make his Flames debut Tuesday night. A.J. Greer comes out of the lineup and uh, lots of question marks surrounding this Flames team as uh, they return home after a not-so-successful five-game road trip. Uh, that's how we start to wrap up this hour. Wes Gilbertson is on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Uh, thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers back at Sportsnet 960 World Control. And that'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450. Or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.